an offensive juggernaut in Miami, the Dolphins put up 70 points and 723 offensive yards as they throw their hat in the ring for the best team in the NFL. Is that the case after three weeks? Deion Sanders' Colorado Buffaloes swallow a huge piece of humble pie after getting destroyed in Eugene versus Oregon as Saturday had a ton of college football games on the schedule. The Astros and Rangers shrunk over the weekend as they were respectively swept in their series, which sets the stage for a mano a mano showdown for the likely final wildcard playoff spot in the AL. Oh, and for the 14th straight year, it'll be another winter that I can sleep in peace. I'll further explain that and all the above as we enter a new season with the same fire and passionate sports talk. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rubble without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, getting through the first couple of days of autumn where it feels more like Seattle than it does here in New York because the Northeast, it has not stopped raining since Friday evening, but I'm not here to cry you guys and gals a river. I'm here to bring lots of energy and fury when it comes to all that's happening in sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and quite a bit to unpack, quite a bit to delve into, as we only have three sports to cover. We still have the NHL, NBA, which is not too far off on the distant horizon, but still got some time between now and then to really roll our sleeves up to get into those fall and winter sports. And we'll start off with the NFL because even with baseball now down to its final week and some developing stories that are happening there, especially in the AL West, which has just been a mess here over the last few days. And we'll certainly get into that in the segment after college football. And of course, that was a crazy Saturday schedule, wasn't it? When you think back as to what took place on Probably one of the better college football Saturdays that we've had in quite some time from a standpoint of all the different games, the storylines, etc. So I'll get into that, but I'll start off here with the NFL because the one glaring story coming out of yesterday, and there were a few, 
But if you watch that one o'clock window and when you saw what was happening down in Miami to where it seemed to be a video game slash pinball machine dating back to the 70s. I know I'm outdating myself here, people, but what has gone on with the Miami Dolphin offense to the point where it has become record setting? They put up the most amount of points over the first three games. Only one team in NFL history has had more. And I believe you have to go back to the 60s to uncover that. And then we're the first team since the 66. That's right. You have to go back to the Washington Redskins at that time who put up 72 points for any NFL team that has put up 70 in a game during the regular season. As crazy as that may sound, because even with all of the pieces in place, whether it's Tua Tagovailoa, whether it's Tyreek Hill, of course, Jalen Waddle, the running backs who are aplenty, but now you have this other kid, Devon A-Chain, who came out of nowhere to rush for over 200 yards in the game yesterday. And one more time, they put up a 70 spot on the Denver defense. And I understand it's not the orange crush of the mid to late 70s. Look that up. But for the Dolphins to now race out to another 3-0 start, similar to what they did last year at this time, and they have a date in Buffalo next week, which right now is looking like the game of the week. But you have to throw their name in the hat as one of the better teams, if not the best team, in the NFL after three weeks. And I get it. This is one of those type of narratives that you see on a lot of those shows, which I can't stand and I certainly detest. Because every five seconds they want to pick an MVP after three weeks or the best team in the NFL. We understand that the best team in the NFL usually doesn't happen until the middle of February at the Super Bowl where it will take place in Las Vegas. But for this day here in late September, you have to throw the Dolphins as one of those top teams similar to San Francisco and what they did. And we saw what happened there on Thursday night. Granted, it was against the Giants and they were depleted there offensively. No Saquon Barkley. They had offensive linemen out. And even a team like the Dallas Cowboys, who certainly got humbled there yesterday in the desert against Arizona. And that could happen. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you have to throw the Dolphins as one of the handful of teams in the NFL that not only are dangerous offensively, but also maybe the best team. Because think about this. The coach, Mike McDaniel, comes from that tree of Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco to the point where their offense is tailored similar to what we've seen there on the West Coast there in Santa Clara. And for McDaniel, I understand he's a little quirky, a little goofy, but he has certainly come up with a master plan here, and it's all coming up aces and roses to the tune of a team that we may have to really pay attention to, especially if the quarterback is going to be healthy. And I understand that's a big if, but what we've seen here in these first three weeks, and of course yesterday, and yes, we could rag on Denver all we want, But they are an NFL team, and they are coached by a guy who has won a Super Bowl, and who knows how that marriage is going to look, considering that Peyton and Russell Wilson has not turned out to be anything to what we could ever possibly have thought of or imagined. But as it is right now, it's all about the Dolphins and what they've done here over the first three games, and then yesterday, punctuating their first home game of the year with a 70 spot, something that we haven't seen in six decades. Now, am I going to call Miami the best team in the sport right now? It's way too premature. I only bring it up just for the sake of everybody after the first two weeks. We're talking how Dallas and San Francisco were far above everybody else throughout the sport in the NFC and the AFC combined. But after yesterday, you have to really consider them as a team that to knock them off that perch. And we may see that up in Orchard Park this Sunday, but... As of right this second, they're looking to be as strong, as solid, and even spectacular based on their start 
not just 3-0, but what they're doing offensively. And defensively, it remains to be seen what they're going to do in a big spot. We definitely have to see that. Remember, they could have lost in LA against the Chargers and they gave up 34 in that game. And then last week in New England, which as we all know, they're offensively challenged. They were able to score 17, but the Dolphin defense, we understand, could be a question mark when it comes to the money on the line. But offensively, they are a juggernaut here. And who knows if they're going to be anything close to the greatest show on turf, a la the Rams of 99, or if they're going to continue to run roughshod over defenses here in the NFL throughout the course of the year. Still have 14 more games left to be played, and we understand that health, injuries, all that play into this. But you have to be astonished by what you see there. We knew that they could have been dangerous based on the personnel that they have there offensively. But boy, when you're putting up 723 yards of offense, especially 350 on the ground, it's not as if they threw for 500 yards and they rushed for 250. There was balance throughout. They had five rushing touchdowns and five passing touchdowns, which has never been seen in NFL history. And Raheem Mostert, I think he just scored another touchdown as he had a monster day. And I talked about Devon A-Chain, who had 200-some-odd yards on the ground. Uh, You can't make it up. This is video game pinball stuff, as I mentioned here at the top. And is this going to continue? I'm sure it's not. Let me see them go up to Buffalo and put up 35. Then maybe I'll even think about this team being among the likes of the Rams or even the Niners of the 80s and some of the other big offensive teams here that we've seen over the last two and a half, three decades. But give it up for what they've done to Coach Mike McDaniel. Tua, we want to see him remain healthy. And the Dolphins, boy, you couldn't have asked for a better start. And mind you, we did see this again last year. And even though when they were 3-0, and if you recall in the game against Buffalo in that third game where Tua got concussed, and then four days later on a Thursday night, he was certainly knocked out of the game where they had to bring out the gurney and the cart to wheel him off. And we understand that that was a sight that we did not want to see. But this is 2023. It's not last year. And even though they have Buffalo on the schedule on the road upcoming, which is going to be a fascinating game to see whether or not they do stack up against Buffalo, who have now gotten their season on track after losing to the Jets on that Monday night two weeks ago. So let's see if the Dolphins can continue to steamroll. They've certainly been as impressive as any team in the NFL. And yes, that includes the Niners as we get ready to turn the calendar from September to October after a couple of Monday night games this evening. Now, as far as my winners and losers of the week, let's get right to it. Winner number one, the Arizona Cardinals. How about it? They shocked the NFL and all the fans that I'm sure probably had Dallas on their or in their knockout pools to a 28-16 rather rocking chair type game. Certainly didn't come down to the wire. Certainly wasn't a game that was tooth and nail that made you think that, oh, could Dallas actually come back in this game? And as we saw there at 28-16 when they were knocking on the door and Dak throws that pick in the end zone, that's the one thing about Dak Prescott you have to wonder about, Cowboy fans. You do not know what type of performance you're going to get from him week in and week out. Yes, he could go 30 for 37 at home against the Jets the week before, against a very good defense. But now, here he was on the road in a place that they, I'm sure, were heavily favored and should have won the game. Not to say they should have won this game because they had trailed pretty much throughout. But for them to put up a clunker, and it happens. And I don't want to make this about the Cowboys. Let's give it up for Jonathan Gannon to get his first NFL win. And them playing, I guess, maybe their Super Bowl 
as the Cowboy fans, I'm sure, invaded that stadium and just took over, but the Cardinals were able to use that as fuel, and James Conner, who had a big game on the ground, came short to 100 yards, had a touchdown, and even Josh Dobbs, who did not play bad, just managed the game, and the Cardinals were able to stave off the Cowboy offense to the tune of 16 points and give it up, at least the Cardinals, who for the most part, have been competitive. Yes, they did lose in Washington there in week one and should have won against the Giants there last week, as we know, as they had a big lead, 28-7, and they gagged it there in the second half. So as much as the Cardinals without their big-time quarterback who has played small at times and won Kyler Murray and with the new coaching staff, they've been competitive. A team that I believe was four and a half going into this year based on the over-on-the-number win totals in Vegas. And think about it. They could actually be 3-0. and but they did get their first win yesterday, so kudos to the Cardinals for getting off the snide. They're my winner number one. My winner number two, I hate to say this, it's the Cleveland Browns. They bounced back from that nightmare of a Monday night game that saw Deshaun Watson, a lot of people questioning whether or not that he's going to be able to take this team to places that have never been seen in Cleveland. And I understand Super Bowl is very lofty when you have them in the same sentence with the Cleveland Browns. But after that performance and losing Nick Chubb to a torn MCL, and it looks like the ACL may be intact. So that's good news where he's probably going to be out for the rest of the year regardless, but nothing to the tune of where he could be out, maybe even long-term. Just the devastation of not only just tearing an MCL, but also an ACL in the process. So they were able to dodge that missile, it seems. But for them to, I understand it's the Tennessee Titans, but for them to go out and really put it on the Titans there to where Deshaun Watson had his best game as a Cleveland Brown by far. 27 for 33, 289 yards, two touchdowns as they got themselves back on the beam and they needed it in the worst way. And I guess it helps to have an opponent like the Titans come in their building to right the ship, to be that panacea to whatever ills they left in Pittsburgh, especially with the cloud over them with the injury to their best offensive player, when you think about it, and Nick Chubb, and just playing sloppy and not playing cohesive, and not only that, but also giving the game away with the two defensive touchdowns there by the Steelers on that Monday night game. But the Browns certainly showed that maybe they do belong in the AFC North and maybe even in the conference overall as far as a team that maybe can make some noise here as we get deeper into this NFL season. So those are my two winners. And as far as my losers, the first one has to be the Washington Commanders. I get it. They may have been a fake 2-0 team. And Sam Howell, who has managed the games pretty well, and even with them beating Arizona in that first game, barely, and then winning in Denver to the point where they had to survive a Hail Mary there, as we saw, and then the two-point conversion, which was pass interference, but be that as it may, as I like to say, you don't throw these wins back. But for them to have Buffalo to come in their building, and I understand, not that they had to win the game, but at least be competitive. What happened? They got destroyed. They were down 37 nothing. They kicked a measly field goal as time expired. That's a bad job by Ron Rivera, and I understand as far as respectability, he wanted to put some points on the board and not get shut out at home. But that's just a terrible job by the Commanders. I know Sam Howell threw four interceptions, so the clock struck 12 with him after these first two games. And one more time, not to say you had to win the game, not to say that you had to, because you were in your building, and I'm sure you had a lot of Bills fans come down for the weekend for the trek to watch their Bills play, 
down at FedEx Field, but that is just a terrible display, one that I'm sure they're just going to look at the tape today and want to throw it out in the garbage, but that was one that was inexcusable, they should have given a better performance, and again, I get it 2-0, and not to say that they were going to be the class of the NFC East by any stretch, but boy, that was one that's going to raise a few eyebrows in the D.C., Maryland area to wonder whether or not the Commanders are going to have it here this year to be competitive, not only in that division, but of course, just throughout the league overall. My second loser are the Minnesota Vikings because that game yesterday, the Chargers were willing to give it to them on a silver platter. And we know the Chargers are terrible in late game scenarios as evidenced by what we saw there with Brandon Staley who's had his moments as coach as being overly aggressive but then he's had his moments where he would take the pedal off the metal. And here was a scenario where, think about this. At 28-24, the Vikings were driving on a fourth down. They turned the ball over on downs. They're midway through the fourth quarter. So now the Chargers have the ball. They did get a first down. But then on fourth and inches at their own 24. Brandon Staley, the coach, decides to go for it. They get stuffed, and they give the ball back to the Vikings there with about two, maybe I think it was less than two minutes at this time. But now the Vikings are set up to where they had an opportunity before where they turned the ball over on downs right at the goal line, and now the Vikings are marching down the field, and they get a first down, and then what happens? Kirk Cousins throws an interception there with seconds to go on the clock for the Chargers to run out of the Twin Cities to get a win under their belt. A surprising late game didn't implode. They didn't hand the game away, although they did their best to do so. But the Vikings were unable to, not one, but two opportunities late in the game in the shadow of the Chargers goal line to spit it up and go 0-3. And that was just a terrible job. I understand the terrible job by Staley. You figured you'd punt the ball there. I understand he was trying to win the game and just get the few inches for a first down. But that's something you can't risk. And boy, did he dodge a missile in order for him to get his first win this year. And a win that he desperately needed because, as we all know, he is certainly walking the plank as his job is in jeopardy based on everything that had happened here over the last couple of years. The playoff loss in Jacksonville and two bad losses to start the year. So... At least for one day he could exhale, but for the Vikings, they certainly can't as they lose at home to the Chargers. And then my third loser, I have to throw them in the mix. What in the hell happened to the Jacksonville Jaguars? Now, I understand you're going to lose last week to the Chiefs, and that was a game that they weren't able to muster any offense. But for the Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud, who had a good second half there last week, and for him to not only get his first win but also to have the numbers that he had against Jacksonville. And I understand they're not a big-time defense. Nobody's going to confuse them with the 2000 Ravens by any stretch. But for C.J. Stroud and for the Houston Texans to go in there and put up 37 points and go running away with this game, 37-17, to there is no excuse. I don't care who you are. I know Doug Peterson, the coach, has to be sick to know that his team... Just let the Texans go up and down the field. Stroud was 20 for 30, 280 yards and two touchdowns. And you had a wide receiver that nobody's ever heard of. And no offense, he had a big time game. But when you have Tank Dell, who nobody's going to be confused with Jerry Rice or Michael Irvin or any of those guys, to have five receptions for 145 yards and a touchdown, you have to go back to the drawing board. And Jacksonville now may look at a division 
where Tennessee won and two, the Colts winning yesterday in Baltimore. This division may be a fight to the bitter end, similar to last year, where Jacksonville came out alive at nine and eight, and it may be that the first team that gets the nine is going to win a division. Because everybody in the division is now one and two, and Jacksonville, which could have put a stamp on the division with this win, because with them beating the Texans head-to-head, and I understand we may not worry about this when it's all said and done, but Jacksonville was a bitter disappointment there yesterday in their building. If this was on the road, you wouldn't like it, but you could say, all right, the Texans had their day in their building in front of their home crowd, but this was not the case. So therefore, they are my third loser of the week. All right, I'm going to trim some fat with some of these games because really to even spend 10 seconds on them would be a waste of time. I know the big story out of Kansas City yesterday was when Patrick Mahomes got his ankle rolled on and that wasn't the same ankle. Last year, I believe it was his left ankle that got rolled on and I believe this one was the right. But they did not miss a beat. The Chiefs looked like maybe they're in midseason form considering that they had a slow start there against the Lions on opening day. And then last week, they did put up only 17 points on the road in Jacksonville. I guess you could blame the almost 100-degree heat there in North Florida. But yesterday, the Bears were no match for the Chiefs, 41-10. The big story, even more so, was Taylor Swift in the box there with Travis Kelsey's mom, which has been all the rage here. Today's show and all these other talk shows this morning. So 41-10, the Bears are awful. I know early in the week, Justin Fields looked like he was pointing fingers at the offense, saying that he's just going by what he's been told by the coaching staff and not being the freelance or just a freewheeling player that he can be. And what did we see yesterday? He was just got awful. And I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be the answer in Chicago. That's all there is to it. We understand with the running quarterbacks, you can have some success, but does that mean for long-term sustainable success? We haven't really seen that with any of these running quarterbacks when you go on down the line from Michael Vick, Randall Cunningham, even as recent as Lamar Jackson, Vince Young, we could go through a litany of players who have been more of a running quarterback and yes, have had their moments and have been successful, but not to the point where when it's all said and done, it leads to Super Bowl success. So that was one there we could bypass as the Bears are going to have a long year and the Chiefs, like I said, in midseason form. Then you have a game that I talked about on Thursday, which had, to me, felt like a playoff game, the Jets. I know it's rough. I know not having Aaron Rodgers, but you can't even think about that. Just to know that Zach Wilson is your quarterback for the rest of the year. And this was the guy that I actually, I don't want to say was breaking out the pom-poms for him or was a big-time supporter, but the one game and the shining moment that he's had in his young career was in Pittsburgh last year. This was actually Kenny Pickett's first game under center. Now, he didn't start in the game. Trubisky was out. So Pickett came in, and they had a 20-10 lead over the Jets. And what did Wilson do? Marched down down the field to two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter to where they won 24-20. And I'm thinking, well, this kid has ability. And I did say that then. And now you have to wonder whether or not that this kid has anything. Whether it's in his chest, between his ears. Now, we know he has the arm, and you would think he has some athletic ability. But he wasn't able to muster up anything until a late drive there, late in the game, to get it to 13-10. to And it was a sloppy, rainy Sunday afternoon at MetLife. But the Patriots, as we know, their offense is from hunger. But they did just enough. Mac Jones is certainly, maybe not even steady, but he does just enough. And Belichick cast a spell over this Jet franchise yet again as they needed the game just as much as the Jets did. 
And all he could say, if you're a Jet fan, it looks like your season's going to go up in smoke. Because next week, Sunday night, NBC, the Chiefs are coming into your building. I'll just leave it right there. I talked about Indianapolis winning on the road, and that was a big moment there for the Colts because Gardner Minshew was your quarterback. No Anthony Richardson as he's in concussion protocol. But all you have to look at is in overtime where the Ravens were past midfield and a fourth and three. They went for it, which is the right move. You don't want to punt the ball there. You're not playing for a tie. You got to play for the win. Or at least to try to win to set yourself up where Justin... Tucker could have a big-time field goal. We know the leg that he has. He's going to be a future Hall of Famer, etc. But for the Colts to then kick a long field goal in their own right. And the crazy thing is, is that with field goal kickers in this day and age, remember back in the day where 50 yards seemed like it was six miles? Well, not for the kicker today, because Matt Gay was the first player in NFL history to kick four field goals 50 yards or more. Think about that. And the game winner that he kicked there yesterday was for 53. He had three 53 yarders and the last one was from 54. All right, maybe not from 56, 58, or 59. But still, very impressive as the Colts steal a game in Baltimore as they go ahead and put their record at 1-2 and and the Ravens get their first loss of the season there. And you can't question what Harbaugh did. I would have done the same thing. I would have gone for it. It was incomplete. And then, of course the Colts were able to win from that point on, kicking that long field goal. How about the Packers? Down 17-0 at home, going into the fourth quarter, and with Derek Carr out as he suffered a shoulder injury, but the Packers were able to come back, being down three scores, and for them to pull out that game in their building, their first home game of the year behind Jordan Love, to win 18-17, and the one play that gets lost in this is at 17-9, they went for two and converted. Now, we understand that's the new analytic that we've seen here over the last couple of years, that in the past, you would normally have the team just kick the extra point, let it be 17-10, and then you could go ahead and try to tie the game if you have a possession and make a stop there on defense. But by going for two, remember, it sets you up to where even if you do not get the two-point conversion, You're at 17-9, where if you get the touchdown and two-point conversion later, you could tie. I understand that that's risky, and to me, as a traditionalist that I am, I'd rather not do that, but it's a very aggressive play, but it also is a play that does make sense, because let's just say, in this case, as they got the two-point conversion there to make it 17-11, all you need is the touchdown and then kick the extra point to win the game, and that's what the Packers did as they steal one from the Saints, and the Saints, I know they have this big-time defense, as we've seen here in the first couple of weeks. Well, we didn't see it there in the fourth quarter yesterday. So that's one that you have to question if you're Dennis Allen, who is a defensive-minded coach. And that's one that I'm sure stings and had him not sleep a wink last night, just knowing that they had that big of a lead, even with their quarterback out there in the fourth quarter, but they weren't able to muster up any offense to at least move the chains or at least get another score and have Green Bay come back to not only take the lead, but also win the game there at Lambeau. Then you had the Seahawks, who, as I picked, if you check my YouTube channel, and I don't know what it is, I forget to leave my knockout pick. I did so last week with the Giants in Arizona, and I survived that. And then yesterday, with the Seahawks beating the Cardinals, now mind you, no Bryce Young as 
The quarterback was Andy Dalton in the game. Now, there was an injury report for Young as he wasn't in the game, but a lot of people are thinking that maybe that was a healthy scratch. That I don't know, but Dalton, who did not play bad, and I understand a lot of those numbers were in garbage time, but for the Seahawks, who got the stench, gotten rid of the stench, I should say, from the first week against the Rams, we're now two wins here, back-to-back, and winning in Detroit last week in dramatic fashion in overtime and now beating the Panthers who are now 0-3. The Seahawks now 2-1 as they look to continue to build off of that bad loss there and now with back-to-back wins to see where they go from here. You had Detroit get back in the win column beating the previously unbeaten Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons got nothing going on the ground. I believe they rushed for 44 yards in the game. And that's the thing. If you slow down or even stop that Falcon ground game, then chances are you're going to win because as we've seen here in the first two weeks, and both of those games were in their building, they've been able to run the ball, they've been able to chew up the clock, time of possession, etc. They weren't able to do that yesterday as Jared Goff only put up 20 points, but the defense was stout as they held the Falcons at bay when it comes to the ground game. And when you have to put it all on the arm and maybe to a certain extent the legs of a one Desmond Ritter, chances are that's going to bode well for Detroit or any team that's going to play against the Falcons as evidenced there yesterday at Ford Field, 20-6. to Not spectacular, but again, a win is a win. And against a team that was undefeated going into your building, that's one that at least you could relish there for a week. And then to wrap up, last night, the Steelers were in Vegas. And that was a game where it wasn't pretty. Now, the Steelers were in control there from the middle of the second quarter on to the early part of the fourth quarter, where they took a 23-7 lead. Kenny Pickett made some plays. You like what you saw there. They didn't run the ball great, but that's typical Steelers here with their offensive line, but it was a lot better than what we've seen here in the first two weeks, and their offense was not much of a clogged toilet, but certainly was better than what we've seen here against San Francisco and even last Monday night against the Browns, but for them to get out of Vegas with a win as they had to hang on there at the end, Josh McDaniels, why he kicked the field goal there at 23-15 and not go for it? Now, I understand that he probably wanted to get the points and then set himself up to where he could get a touchdown to not only take the lead but win. But it doesn't make any sense because they had the ball there. I believe it was fourth and four at the, off the top of my head, it wasn't fourth and goal, but it was deep in Steeler territory. And instead of going for it where he could pin the Steelers back, and you know they're going to play conservative, they had all three of their timeouts. It was about a little bit, it was north of the two-minute warning Why not pin the Steelers there, take your chances to get a first down or even maybe take a shot in the end zone to see if you could get a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Instead, he kicks a field goal there, which was mindless. Now, mind you, he did get the ball back there at the very end, but with, what, 23 seconds to go? And a lot of that was based on the punt that took a lot of time off the clock, which set themselves at 12 seconds left. And then Garoppolo throws a pick. He threw a bad pick earlier to Patrick Peterson in the game. And that's the one thing you have to worry about, Raider fans, about Garoppolo. Yes, he's a guy that does win. Yes, he is a guy that can make plays. But he also can make that boneheaded pass as he did to Peterson there in the third quarter. And then at the end, he just threw one up for grabs where Levi Wallace got the game-sealing interception. And the Steelers, who after that opening day ugly loss against the Niners have now bounced back nicely with two wins in the conference, and they are 2-1. and one. They're in a very competitive AFC North. And then tonight, you have the double dip, which I don't like. Philadelphia and Tampa, two 2-0 teams going at it. The 
Eagles have not gotten off to a good start here today year. So let's see if they could get themselves back and right the ship to anything close to what they were last year against a Tampa team that has been surprising. Now, mind you, they've beaten two 0-3 teams as of right this moment at Minnesota and then the Bears last week. So they're taking a step up in class. I would think the Eagles should run all over the Buccaneers, but we'll see. They're 7-15 tonight on ABC. And then the nightcap, and I talked about this on Thursday, a playoff game by far and maybe just a tiny smidge of revenge. Now, granted, the cast of characters have changed in L.A., but this is a Super Bowl rematch of two years ago. And we know Joe Burrow and his ailing calf. This is a big game for the Bengals. Whether they win 10-9, 30-10, or 41-40. Because everybody in the AFC North is 2-1. They cannot go 0-3. And they already have two division losses in their back pocket. So, two games that have some intrigue tonight that we look forward to. I hate the double dip as you guys and gals know. I'd rather just have the one standalone game You want to do that for opening day, that's one thing. They didn't do it for opening day this year because they had Buffalo and the Jets with Aaron Rodgers and we saw how that unfolded. And then we've had back-to-back Monday nights with doubleheaders. And then later on the year, you're going to have two more Monday nights with another dose of two games. So that's what we got in the NFL as we march along to close out week three and almost a quarter already, almost a quarter this coming Thursday, where we have Detroit at Green Bay, I believe. Or is it Green Bay at Detroit? No, Green Bay at Detroit, I believe, is on Thanksgiving. So Detroit's going to Green Bay there on Thursday night to start off your schedule. But we'll talk more about that then as, believe it or not, like I said, week four is slowly but surely creeping closer. All right, now let's turn our attention to the college circuit as you had a ton of interesting games and big-time games and last-second performances, and the like. But the one game that I'll get out of the way, which was arguably the highlight game of the day, was the Colorado and Oregon game. We all know that the hype and the publicity that the Buffaloes have received here over the first three weeks, and it was warranted and deserved, and I get it that it was against TCU and Nebraska and Colorado State, And here it was, them going to the Pacific Northwest for Dion and company to see what they could do against the Ducks, who are ranked 10th in the nation. And the Ducks, although they are a very good team, but when it's all said and done, I don't think this is going to be a team that's going to battle or be anywhere close to the college football playoff. But for the Buffaloes, they did not belong in the same field as the Ducks there on Saturday afternoon. That's all there is to it. And the momentum... And all the publicity that they received in the first three weeks have gone right down the toilet. And they have USC coming into their building this year. And down the road, they're going to have to face the likes of Utah, UCLA, which I'll get to them in a minute. That conference has become stout. And it's a shame because it's all going to fall apart here at the end of this college football season, as we all know. But as of right this second, the Buffaloes and that performance where they were just lambasted. 35-0 at the half, 42-6 when it was all said and done and they got a late touchdown where they missed the extra point. Now, the one thing I don't like about this was Dan Lanning and the things that he said in the pretty much leading up to the game and even more so in the post-game interview, him just flexing his muscles and trying to take too much of the credit and at least be show a little humility, my guy, 
to the point where he came out and said, they fight for clicks and we fight for wins. Now, can we pipe down there? It's not as if you've won national championship after national championship or you've been a program that a lot of kids want to flock to. You're not in the SEC. You're not a team that, yes, they are very good and they have shown that they belong amongst the top teams in the nation. But let's not get carried away here and think that you're a team that all of a sudden is going to be one of the pillars or one of the mainstays when it comes to college football. You are not Michigan. You are not Ohio State. You're not Alabama. And you're certainly not one of those type of teams that belong year in and year out and definitely not Georgia who have won two national championships back-to-back, I might add. So can we pipe down there with the comments there, Mr. Lanning? But they deserved it. And Dion was gracious in the postgame. They said, get us down now because this is it. We're turning this around, and if you want to beat up on us, you want to pick on us, do it now. And I think there's going to be a couple more games on the schedule that are going to be like that. And I'm sure USC, they're going to go into Colorado this week. Now, who knows? USC, with Caleb Williams and a Heisman Trophy favorite, you would think. A lot of the bloom is off the rose when it comes to Shadur Sanders. And with Colorado now out of the top 25, This is going to be another game where let's see if they're going to flex any of the muscle that they've shown the first three weeks against a formidable opponent, but this time in their building. And I think the true colors will really be shown this week for Colorado more so than last week because to me, that was going to be an uphill battle to say the least. When you're, what is it, 22-point underdogs going into Eugene and you saw what the final outcome was? Why is anybody surprised? I wasn't. And I'm not hating on Dion or the Buffaloes. I'm glad that they've, and they deserve all the publicity that they've received. But just because they've gotten a bunch of transfers, just because they've gotten off to that hot start, doesn't mean that they're going to be fighting for a national championship. Let's call it as we see it and let's pipe down. And now they have another test in front of them, as well as the other teams in that conference that are going to be gunning for them, even after this 42-6 to pasting. But just because of that one game, you know that the USC's, the Utah's, the UCLA's, they're going to be coming at Colorado as if they're the number one ranked team in the country. So I just had to throw that in the mix as far as landing, as far as Colorado, and I knew it was going to be a tough game. We talked about this on Thursday. And as we saw there, boy, that was a beatdown to say the least. But give it up for Dion. He said all the right things in the postgame. A butt-whooping, old-fashioned They took it to us. Even what he said about the coach didn't really get into the comments that were said, but the one thing he did say was that if you want to catch us, catch us now. And good for him. Good for Dion for saying that because I think if he gets more players and more people to buy in and with the transfer portal, NILs, etc., who knows what Colorado could be after this year. That's not to say that this year is going to be a wash, but who knows? I think there's going to be some tough sledding for this Buffalo team before it's all said and done as we get into October and beyond. Earlier in that afternoon, Florida State, talk about them getting out of Clemson alive. Clemson had them on the ropes to the point at 24-17, the Tigers were marching down the field. They were already in Seminole territory before Kalen Deloach returned that 56-yard fumble return back to the house to make it 24 up. And then late in the game where it looked like Clemson could really put the screws and give Florida State their first loss, what happens? A chip shot of a field goal goes wide left 
And the Seminoles were able to survive in overtime, 31-24, and get out of the Dodge with a win. Now, they drop in the standings based on what Ohio State did against Notre Dame as they miraculously won there in South Bend. They were down 14-10. They're marching down into Notre Dame territory to where it was a third and 19 with 14 seconds to go. Not only did they convert it, but with one second left on the clock and the last play of the game, they were able to punch it in with a touchdown. They went 17-14, and that was a statement win for Ryan Day and company because I get it, Notre Dame, they were ranked ninth and looked to move up in the rankings to knock Ohio State down a few pegs. But boy, just being able to get that win, to convert on that third and 19, and they needed a touchdown, as we know, down 14-10, that was a huge win for the Buckeyes. Now, they moved up in the rankings a couple of spots. They actually leapfrog over the Seminoles and are now ranked fourth in the country. And I'll go through the top teams in the nation in a moment. But that was a huge win for Ohio State, winning in hostile territory. And who knows what's going to happen here with Notre Dame for the rest of this college football season. They have USC coming into their building in a few weeks, as we know. But boy, that was a bitter pill to swallow if you're a Fighting Irish fan. Alabama was able to shake off a rather lethargic start from Jalen Milrow, who was unable to get his team into the end zone as they only kicked two field goals to start. And he also threw a pick in the end zone, which thwarted a chance for a touchdown. But they were able to prevail there in the second half as Milrow improved and played better as the game wore along. And the Crimson Tide, who looked like they were up against the ropes there, and that would have been a big upset despite the fact that Ole Miss is ranked in the top 20. But they were unable to muster up anything offensively. And yes, they did try to make it interesting there. But they were unable to get the go-ahead score after the Crimson Tide were able to get that touchdown with the two-point conversion there in the third quarter after Alabama made it 9-7 right out of the gate, out of the half. And for Alabama, all you got to do is just count your blessings and move on to the next game. That's it. I understand it wasn't pretty. The old style points theory, but still you won the game. I understand it wasn't overly impressive. And you think before it's all said and done, they'll probably get their second loss at some point because this is not a vintage Alabama team. But again, they were able to win and Milrow, at least for now, looks like he's going to be the guy under center moving forward as we move ahead in this college football season. Then you had UCLA and Utah, which was a low scoring defensive battle. We know Cameron Rising. The quarterback of Utah did not play, and who knows how much longer he's going to be out. But for, and I watched a bit of this game, and they did have an opportunity there late. I know UCLA looked like they had some chances, but they were unable to capitalize on that. And then Utah, again, defensively, they were very impressive. And two teams that, of course, that are ranked very high in the nation. And as we know, that Pac-12, crazy as it sounds, it's almost as if with the Pac-12 falling apart... They're playing their best football, at least the teams in that conference look like they're going out with one last hurrah, and we certainly saw that with those two teams going at it against one another, and we have to wait and see what's going to happen there with Utah, because without the quarterback, you don't expect them to do anything big throughout the course of the year, but the defense certainly saved the day as the Utes were able to prevail there at home against the Bruins, and then one other game to talk about with Oregon State and Washington State. Now, the Cougars were in control, and you have a guy there in Cam Ward, the quarterback of Washington State, had a monster game. Could be in the running for the Heisman as well. 28 for 34, 404 yards, four TDs. They had a big lead, but then 
The Beavers were able to come back to make it interesting, but they fell short as they lose 38-35. So for Washington State, who looks like they could be a formidable opponent here in this conference, and who knows what's going to happen here the rest of the way with the Pac-12, but that was a statement there, knowing that the quarterback who had a big game and of course will have bigger games down the road for them to put up big numbers and for him to have that efficiency there 20 for 34 certainly shows that he's a guy that looks like when it's all said and done and there's still plenty of college football to be played but could be a guy in the running for a Heisman Trophy and then lastly I didn't really get into Penn State Iowa because as we all know Iowa couldn't score to save their lives They make the Pittsburgh Steelers offense look like the K-Gun of the Buffalo Bills back in the 90s as they got shut out there in Happy Valley 31-0. I know a lot of people looked at that game as maybe Iowa could be competitive. And as we've seen here year after year after year with Iowa, they cannot score to save their lives. That's all there is to it. So the Nittany Lions continue to roll as they've been playing very well here to start off their year. And as we take a look at the top teams in the nation or go through at least the top 10 Georgia still at number one, followed by Michigan as they pounded Rutgers where we got Jim Harbaugh back off of that self-imposed three-game suspension as they took care of the Scarlet Knights, followed by Texas. We talked about Ohio State leapfrogging Florida State and then Florida State five. So those are your top five, Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Ohio State, Florida State, followed by Penn State, Washington, USC, Oregon moves into the top 10 with their win against Colorado and then Utah moves up a slot into the top 10 to round out the teams in a nation that are looking to see if they could put any type of pressure, although it's only four weeks in. But think about it. Washington, USC, Oregon, Utah, teams that are going to be jumping ship and moving on to bigger and better conferences, they are in the bottom of the top 10 looking to see if they could crack that top four and be a player here when it comes to the college football playoff, which certainly is still away down the road and now let me put on my batting gloves get the helmet and take the bat out of the rack and get in the batter's box to talk about baseball because now we're down to the final week of the season this time next week we'll handicap the wild card rounds in both the AL and NL and it looks like it could be an AL without either the Houston Astros or Seattle Mariners when it's all said and done and It is going to be a showcase showdown a la The Price is Right here over the course of the next seven days because based on what we saw over the weekend, you had the Mariners go belly up in Texas where the Rangers were able to sweep them. And it looks like after everything that has happened to this team, especially over the last six, seven weeks to where they were in first place all year, then the Mariners and the Astros overtook them for the division. And then in the biggest series of the year, Here come the Rangers sweeping the Mariners out of the state and back to the Pacific Northwest to where they now have a two and a half game lead in the division. And it looks like as of right this second, now they still have to play the Mariners over the weekend, but it looks like they're in pole position to steal this division. And I say steal only because it looked like they were going to be on the outside looking in when it was all said and done. But for Texas to do a great job there over the weekend and just a terrible job by Seattle, which was only upstaged by what the Astros have done. And if the Astros don't make it to the postseason, they have the Kansas City Royals to blame. And really, they have themselves to blame, as we all know. But look at this. We know the Astros have been awful in their own building this year, which is inexplicable for a team that's been 
hovering around first place, and as we all know, defending champ, etc. But the Houston Astros, who now go on the road to close out their year, they were three games under 500 in their building. Evidenced by the Royals coming into Minute Maid Park and sweeping them, maybe out of the postseason. They went in and swept the Royals, who their record is 54-102, and and prior to the start of the series, they won 51 games. And won five of six here over the last two weeks or ten days to where if the Astros don't make it to the postseason, they have these two series to blame. And especially this one at home, which was by far inexcusable. For them to get swept is just flat out embarrassing. And we could talk about the Royals being a major league team and yada yada, I get it. But this team has not played a meaningful game since maybe May 15th. They have been the dregs of the not only the American League, but Major League Baseball on the whole. And for the Royals to go into their building and to sweep them, it is an utter embarrassment. And now the Astros go to Seattle. And this is going to be a, not huge, not enormous, this is just a series for their lives. And I get it because the games are going to be in Seattle, and unless you're a diehard or even a good baseball fan, nobody is going to care. But we could certainly bank on this series maybe being for that final wildcard spot in the American League because the Rays, they are far gone the fourth seed. The Blue Jays have put themselves in really good stead after beating the Jays two out of three in Toronto over the weekend. And they currently have a two-game lead over the Astros where the Mariners are just a half game behind. And remember, they have four this weekend, so that's why they're a half game because the Astros will go to Seattle before a day off and then go to Arizona to close out their season. But Seattle and Houston, this series is pretty much for all the marbles. That if the Astros win two out of three, they may end up winning that final wildcard spot in the American League. Now, they still have to go to Arizona, which is not going to be an easy feat. And then we all know that Seattle has Texas coming into their building. And let's see if they could polish them off and send the Mariners packing. But this is just a terrible job by both the Mariners and Astros here in the latter part, the final 10 days of the season, to just spit the bit the way they have here is, I mean, what could you say? At least Seattle, if you want to even call them having any excuse, is that they lost those three games in Texas. Whereas the Astros to the Royals, you cannot make that up. And who knows if the Astros are going to be long for this postseason. I don't want to hear about, oh, they're the defending champs. Oh, we know about their pedigree, DNA, championship, medal, etc. They're not clicking. I'd be shocked if they get out of the wild card round. And mind you, they'll be going to Minnesota, which they have never won a playoff game in a million years. As we know, the Twins have their own demons to exercise, but that's for next week. But for right now, who knows if they're going to be one of the last teams standing, although they do have that slimmest of margins, a half game lead in the wild card over Seattle. And they face off there tonight at T-Mobile Park. And I'm here for it. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait to see how this is going to shake down. And we knew this was going to be a battle royale to the very end, as I talked about there last week. But boy, you couldn't have set it up any better knowing that these two teams are struggling going into the series. And let's see who's going to come out on top here over the course of these next three days. And let's see what the pitching matchups. Now I'm even more curious to see how this is going to play out. Your pitching matchups for these three games. Tonight, you have Justin Verlander against Luis Castillo. Excellent matchup. Tomorrow night, 
you have Kristen Javier against George Kirby. So it looks like all the heavy hitters are going to be pitching in this series for Seattle. And then the finale is Framber Valdez against Bryce Miller, the young kid. So it is all right in front of them. You're going to have the Astros pitching two of their better pitchers. And even Kristen Javier was very good too. So you would think their top three starters are going up against, in all likelihood, the top three starters. I understand Logan Gilbert is not going to pitch in the series. I'm sure he's going to pitch probably Thursday, the first game against the Rangers. And I'm sure he'll be set up to pitch against game one if they do survive next Tuesday in the wildcard round. But that's what you have there in the American League as far as the wild card, as far as the AL West, which is obviously going to come down to the wire, at least so we think, with those three big games tonight. And then, as I mentioned, the Rangers are playing Anaheim. So we would think that the Rangers are going to make do and at least win two out of three there to put themselves in position to win a division, which would be great for them because they were in first place all year. And for them to spit it up here over the last six, seven weeks only to rebound and get themselves back in first place with a two and a half game lead certainly does bode well for them. Now, as far as the National League is concerned, I'm not even going to get into Baltimore and Tampa. We all know that the Orioles, we would think they're going to come out alive here. They do have four games, or is that three games? My eyes are deceiving me at the moment. No, they have a three game in the loss, two and a half games back, which seems like that's been the case even after the series last week between Baltimore and Tampa, where they got two within percentage points of first place that's the Tampa Bay Rays that is before the Orioles won the back two of that series and since then it's been pretty much two and a half and it seems like it's been the case all along here throughout the month of September so we would think that's going to be fine and then as far as the National League wild card race we could say goodbye to the Giants as we talked about there last week I think they're currently what four and a half backs so you could forget about that actually they are yeah they're actually five backs so you could forget about it and then you have the Reds two and a half back the Reds, who had a choke job of a lifetime there Saturday night, where they had a 9 nothing lead going into the top of the fourth, and the Pirates had one of the biggest comebacks, certainly in their team's history, but one of the biggest in Major League Baseball history, as they came back from a 9 nothing deficit to score 13 unanswered runs, to hang on to win 13-12, and if that was going to be the stake through the Reds' heart as far as their wildcard chances, they're going to look back to that game. So they are 2.5 back, as of right this moment, where the Marlins are just a game back, and they bounced back nicely over the weekend. They got pounded 16-1 to there on Friday night to the Brewers before winning the final two games of that series, where they're still a game behind the Cubs in the wildcard race. Now, the Cubs, mind you, they swept the Rockies, so no harm, no foul, but they go to Atlanta, and they close the season with three games at Milwaukee. And you know that the Brewers will do anything that they could possibly can to get them out of the postseason altogether. And as it is, if the standings remain the same at this time next week, the Cubs will go to Milwaukee to play in a wild card round. So I'm sure they're going to want to try to do what they can to get them out. And maybe the Marlins or with a wing and a prayer, the Reds get that final spot. So we'll keep our eyes on that. And then the Diamondbacks have a half game lead over the Cubs. Now, The Diamondbacks still have to finish the series against the Yankees. And how they're going to do that, I don't know. Because as I mentioned at the very top, it has rained since Friday night. And they had the game postponed there on Saturday. I don't know how they played through the rain yesterday. Because it was a constant, steady, it wasn't a drizzle, it was raining. And I get it, they have to get these games in. And they know what the forecast is. And they're going to play this afternoon amongst more raindrops. It's supposed to rain until 6pm tonight. Where Arizona, they had to have their game pushed against the White Sox 
from today to Thursday before going home to wrap up their season against the Astros as we talked about earlier. So I get it, they have to get the game in, but boy, that was a slop fest for the Diamondbacks to win there at Yankee Stadium 7-1 and they'll conclude their series this afternoon. But for the NL wildcard mix, and you're not going to see Sandy Alcantara as he's shut down for the rest of the year, rumored that the forearm strain could be worse. So you're not going to see him pitch in big games down the stretch. And we know about the schedules. Miami actually comes to New York to play the Mets here for three games before going to Pittsburgh to conclude their season. The Reds also have a very favorable schedule here down the stretch. I believe they have the Guardians for two. And they got to go to Cleveland. Who knows if the Guardians are going to have anything left to maybe upset that apple cart before closing out at St. Louis to end their regular season. We talked about the Diamondbacks and who they play to close out the year. And then the Cubs as well, knowing that they got to go to Atlanta and then also play the Brewers there in Milwaukee. So it's all right in front of them. We have it here, the final week of the season. And oh, one last thing, if I may. With Arizona beating the Yankees there yesterday, and it's a rarity that before we even get to October that I could actually utter this sentence for the 14th straight year. Another winter that I could sleep in peace that you see in the intro or that you listen to, excuse me, in the intro of this podcast. And I know it comes in, it comes across a little low, but that sentence, another winter that I could sleep in peace. Yes. Rest in peace to the 2023 New York Yankees as Hal Steinbrenner and even Aaron Judge came out that we have a lot to work on. There's a lot that has to be looked at this offseason. And I'll talk more about that next week and as we get into the offseason, etc. But one last thing. Be on the lookout, my good people. My YouTube channel, at J Reels, for a vlog with that very sentence that I've uttered one more time. Another winter I could sleep in peace. I can't say that enough. And strange as it is to even say that on September 25th, it's almost mind-boggling. But yes, we will not hear from the Yankees in October and a 28th World Series banner will have to wait for another year. And hopefully beyond. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about the books. As always, I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you so much for carving out precious moments out of your day to have me babble and fill you in on what's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review, you know the deal. And if you want to hit me up on any of my socials, at J Reels on YouTube, my channel, please subscribe there as I post videos daily. On Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. On X or Twitter, J Reels 1, just the number. In the old-fashioned way, with a question, comment, suggestion, whatever it may be, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, talking sports. Pretty much it's birth. Sharing my passion, fire, fury, energy, with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>